hello, hello, and welcome back to Own Your Ish. I'm your host, Cynthia Korn, and today we're going to follow up to our part one of Stinkin' Thinkin'. So if you are just joining the Own Your Ish podcast today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Today is going to be a follow-up to last week's episode, so make sure that you head back to the episode show page and listen to Stinkin' Thinkin' part one to learn more about cognitive distortions and how they show up in our lives. Because today, we're diving into how to fix common cognitive distortions. So we're gonna go over 10 ways uh, that you can use in your life to help combat the cognitive distortions. And as we talked about last week, cognitive distortions happen when we apply a distorted lens to different events, sometimes conversations, things that happen to us, and it reinforces this negative way of thinking. And unfortunately, when we get ourselves stuck in that negative thought pattern, it almost becomes habit. And then we will be in a space where we are unable to actually see reality because we're wrapping it in these distorted filters and we think in these negative ways. So, you know, as we think about how we want to combat cognitive distortions, you may find that one one of these tips works really well one day and other days maybe not so much. So, what what I always encourage people to do is when we start recognizing that we have these cognitive distortions, one thing that we can do is is start to track these patterns and utilize multiple ways to either cope or mitigate the impact of these distorted thinking patterns. And, you know, I just want to, again, normalize that cognitive distortions happen. Like, we all do it. It happened to everyone from those of us who seem like we have all of our stuff together to those of us who it's very obvious that we're stuck in this this rut or this pattern of negative thinking. Um, I, I will tell you that I've used many of these um, and it has helped me to really kind of change the way that I think, but also just starting to recognize the cognitive distortions a little earlier has really helped. So as we get going, we're going to just identify 10 different ways in which we can cope and manage our cognitive distortions so that we can help find ourselves in a healthy, centered way of thinking, recognizing and owning our part in situations, but also being fully aware that there are sometimes outside factors that have caused us to be in these situations. So we're going to recognize all of the things that are going on and then being able to bring ourselves back to a centered space because that allows us to not only own our shit, it actually helps us to stay in reality and recognize what what we've caused, what we haven't, and then also what part do we play in it to help bring ourselves back to a centered space of reality thinking. So with that, one of the first common ways that I like to combat my cognitive distortions is to actually keep a thought journal. And this is where, you know, in the moment, some of you may have time to do this. There are apps that can help you with this. But what's happening is when we have these thought patterns, we want to write them down. Like what's happening around that? And so what we do is we just kind of create this list of all these thoughts that are running through our head, right? So throughout the day, as you're having them, we're writing down these distortive thought patterns that are, that are happening. You may hear this referred to as a daily mood log. 
Um, and again, there's apps that can help you with this, but I, I like to write things down because for me, it is the process of thinking and writing that helps me then begin to identify my patterns. And, you know, the reason why we do this is because, you know, when you take your car into the mechanic, right? You, you're going to tell them what's going on, but they're going to take it for a test drive. They're going to be listening for all the different things that are going on to really figure out what's happening. Because in, in one instance, we may think what's wrong with our car is, is the brakes or it's something in the engine. And, you know, this is what we're thinking. It has to be this, but we take it into the mechanic and they're like, well, actually we found something else wrong with your car. That's causing this issue. So it's always good to, to write down these thought patterns, to be able to see what's happening. And as I mentioned last week, one of the ways in which you can also help yourself by listing your, these, these distorted thoughts that you're having and recognizing the patterns is this also helps us to, you know, recognize, you know, what's going on around those situations. Are, are we in, are we putting ourselves through situations or in different events or in, in, in different possibilities to have these negative thought patterns happen intentionally or are they happening organic, right? Is, is this negative thought pattern just happening or did it come from something else? Is there something that we're doing? Are we in a job that's causing a lot of stress? Therefore, we continually kind of put ourselves back into that situation and it's just reinforcing those negative thought patterns. Um, you know, sometimes we kind of continually go back into the same situation again and again and again, even though we know it's not serving us. And so, you know, as we begin to recognize these thoughts, we can see, you know, are they real, right? Am I experiencing a lot of stress because of what's happening at work? Or, you know, am I doing something that's causing some of these, you know, things to happen at work that causes a lot of stress that then reinforces this negative thought pattern? Sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. Sometimes there are just outside factors that we can't control, such as other people, right? But we can control ourselves, and that's why it helps to identify first the cognitive distortion. And again, go back and listen to last week's episode if you're wondering what are the different types of cognitive distortions, how do they show up in our lives, so that we can begin to recognize them and interrupt those distorted uh, thinking patterns a little earlier. And the second thing... The second way in which we can reduce the cognitive distortion or even just kind of cope with that and mitigate the impact is to examine the evidence, you know, kind of put the distorted filter, there's a distorted thought pattern that you're having right now, put it on trial, right? So we're going to remove ourselves emotionally. This is where it helps to breathe, bringing ourselves out of that animal brain back to the front part of our brain so we can think rationally have the executive thought patterns, you know, have that executive functioning help us really start to think through what's going on. So when we put ourselves in, in a state of calmness by breathing and we've removed the emotions from what's going on, we can then do a thorough examination of an experience that's going to help us be able to see the different ways in which uh, you know, we're, we're having these distorted thoughts come on. And so, you know, if, if we are overly self-critical, which I fall into this pattern a lot, uh, you know, you want to identify several experiences or times in which you've had success. Okay. This is, again, why it's important to journal. It helps us to be able to go back and reflect when our memory fails us. Because again, the negative thought patterns, the distorted thinking, 
that we have will often trap us and we begin to only focus on the negative and then we only remember the negative, especially when we're in it, when we are eyeballs deep in the shit that's causing the distorted thinking and we're just like, oh my gosh, what is going on, right? We only think of the negative. But when we stop to breathe and we take a thorough examination of what's really going on and remembering that we've had successes, you know, sometimes we need to remember are we thinking about opinions or about facts? So statements that reflect an opinion would be something that is, I'm selfish, or I'm always wrong, or I'm just a failure, um, or there's just something wrong with me. Those are opinions. But as we start to look at situations, did you get into an argument with your coworker, or did your coworker approach you and speak in an angry voice? Did your coworker come up and say something that wasn't true? Okay, that's fact. Did they do it or not? Okay, so as we start to look at that, we want to remind ourselves that we want to keep factual evidence in place and then we want to put that on trial, right? Is it true? Is it fully true? Uh, and is there something that can be done about it? And so when we think about, you know, like maybe, you know, how we want to look at a way in which we can, you know, examine the evidence and see what's really happening. We can, we can talk to ourselves and see, you know, is this true? Is it not? And what do we need to do about it? Because if it's true, if the way that we're thinking about ourselves is true, so let's just say if the thought that we had about ourselves is that, you know, I must be completely awful because I had a really bad evaluation at work. It didn't go the way that I wanted it to. And I'm just completely awful. Okay, so in that thought pattern right there, what, what part of that is true? When we think about what is factual, what's, what's opinion-based, the only part of that is I had a bad evaluation. Okay, so let's, then we can really kind of dismiss all the rest of the stuff, right? Because at those negative emotions that come up, we, we attach that to something that's bad and because it helps to reinforce that negative thinking about ourselves, right? It helps us to think, yes, I, I am a failure. Or is it that I got a bad evaluation because something isn't working the way that it should in this moment for this company? Okay. And what is it specifically, right? Again, removing the emotional part, removing the self-critical uh, self-talk that you're saying about yourself and really looking at it. So what was it about the evaluation and what can actually be changed, right? So that's where we're examining the evidence to see what is true, what is not, and what can actually be done about the truth of the situation, okay? So because the distorted factor, the distorted filters that we put on our thinking will often lead us to think that we are the sole cause of everything. And maybe the evaluation will be able to give us a way in which we can change something that we're doing so that we can continue to grow and be better employees, right? So the more that we know, the more feedback that we get, we are able to own our stuff, do something to make it better and improve so that the next evaluation we have turns out the way that we want it to, okay? So the third thing that we can do in order to help ourselves kind of recognize cognitive distortions and mitigate the impact of them is called the double standard method. So when we think about this, it is that self-talk that we do to ourselves that can often find ourselves in a situation that is reinforcing negative thought instead of using different terminology. So, you know, things like, let's go back to this evaluation, 
So you're, you're, you know, this evaluation is going to come up. You've put in a lot of work. Um, you've been improving, you've been studying, you've been honing your skills and ready to change something, right? So the thought pattern that may come up around that is I had a really crappy evaluation. I'm a really bad employee. I just suck and I'm just going to completely screw this up again. So, right. Do you see, do you hear that thought pattern coming back in? Have you recognized that before? So what we're going to do is just actually switch that and change that. So now we're going to simply start saying, I'm going to rock it out on this evaluation. I have put in the work. I've been studying. I've been practicing. I've been asking my coworkers to give me feedback. I've asked for my boss to see kind of the new things that I've put into place. I'm trying different skills. I'm watching other employees. I'm recognizing what part I play in the company and what I want to do differently and how I'm showing up differently. So I put in all this work, my evaluation is going to be awesome. Now, you may hear this referred to as like these affirmations and we're talking about how amazing we are and we're going to do great at work. And I will tell you, at first, I thought that this was so freaking cheesy. Like really all you're asking me to do is just change the way that I'm talking about myself. Like, is that really going to help? Um, yes. Yes, it is. So for example, when I first started running, um, my, my whole thought process around running was I could barely run for 30 seconds when I started without ready to pass out. And eventually I started running more and more and more and I was up to 10 minutes. And I remember I was in Garden City, Kansas at the YMCA running on the treadmill. I made it to 10 minutes without stopping and I cheered myself. I was like, this is awesome. I just did this. And then immediately I was like, well, it's only 10 minutes. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? It took me months to get to that point and I immediately shot myself down. And so I, I, I switched my thought pat pattern real quick and I was like, nope, but you made it to 10 minutes. So let's see how far we can get next week, right? So like next week I'm going to shoot for 10 minutes and 30 seconds. And I remember coming home and telling my roommate at the time, my best friend, Sarah, about it. And she's like, okay, so then great. You're ready to run a mile. Um, excuse me. Now, for those of you thinking, uh, yeah, 10 minutes, that's definitely a mile. I'm slow as molasses. I'm like a turtle stampeding through peanut butter when I run. I'm very, very slow. So, you know, but at 10 minutes, I was like, I don't know, but we'll see. So she's like, no, you're going to go out and you're going to run. You're a runner. Uh, no, I, I'm not. And it, it's really, it was that thought pattern that she was trying to talk me into. No, you are a runner. The minute that you think that you're a runner, you're a runner. And I will say after meeting many, many people in the running community, that's the truth. Once you think of yourself as a runner, you're a runner because that's what it takes. And that's how we get out, we get going, and we just keep trying. And again, it's that self-talk. And I will say I've slipped out of that. I've said I'm not really a runner anymore. I, I don't do it as much, but I am. I'm just a runner who is getting back into it again. I am doing the work to help strengthen my knees and build up my lung capacity again and to keep going. But again, it is that thought pattern. Once you shift it, it really starts to help because as I started to think of myself as a runner, I allowed myself to be talked into my first 5k. Again, I thought my friend was crazy, but I trusted her and it it felt good to think of myself as a runner. I know that 
for me, it's not about winning a race. I, I don't want to put in that type of work. Uh, I, I've seen my friend Sarah. She's this amazing runner. And I always loved it that she'd always be out front and, and pushing for that. But I was there just as a runner because it was for me. And that was all okay. Right. So this is also part of the support you want to surround yourself with is those friends that can help remind you of who you are and pull you out of your distorted thinking as well. Because not only did I sign up for a 5K with her, I found many successes afterwards of finishing 5Ks and and then on to half marathons. And I've run four half marathons. So if I total all that up, that's two marathons. Um, and I, I sit here and I just tell myself now in self-talk, I still want to finish that, that marathon. That's, that's still a goal of mine. And how am I going to get there instead of thinking, well, I haven't run in probably nearly a year. So why even try instead it is, what do I need to do now in order to get back to that? And I, as a runner, I know what I need to do. So I'm going to get back into that. So I have shifted my way of thinking around that to kind of help myself. And it's like treating myself. It's treating myself to the happy, you know, the happy brain fuzzies that come along with saying nice things about ourselves. And, you know, you think about this and about how we talk about ourselves. If a friend was getting ready to take a test, would you tell them you're completely awful? You suck. You're never going to do well on this test. No, like imagine if Sarah had told me at the time, yeah, you only, you've only done 10 minutes. Yeah. You're not really a runner. You, that, that's, that's nothing really. I, I can run a full half marathon right now. Like, could you imagine what that would have done to me and my psyche as, as a friend, right? Like, and as a person who, you know, is really just getting started and said she was supportive and helped me to shift my distorted thinking towards reality that I am a runner. So, you know, if, if you would not say that negative thing to a friend, why are we saying it to ourselves? Okay. A question that we will definitely dive into later because how, how we talk about ourselves, how we view ourselves is not only distorted thinking, but it definitely bleeds into other things. So, you know, as we continue to move on, the fourth way in which we um, can help to uh, combat our distorted thinking is to really think in shades of gray. So as we talked last week, polarized thinking or black and white thinking a lot is, you know, it's either or, right? So what happens though is with cognitive distortions, like our mind, uh, and it can be hard to really start to think in shades of gray. It's because our mind literally cognitively, like the way it's wired, it's wired to take these shortcuts to simplify processing, right? To, to simplify that thought process of all the stimuli uh, that's going on because it helps us to hurry up and make a decision as to what's going on. Now, sometimes polarized thinking or black and white thinking can be beneficial for us. So we're thinking we're in the woods, a bear is approaching and we, ha we have the thought process real quick. Either we're going to run or we're going to stay put, play dead and, and hope that everything's okay, right? Like not too often, most of us are going to find ourselves in that situation, but that would be, you know, a time in which we need to really just act. It's this, this or this, we're either going to do it or we're not. And that can help in certain situations. But when we start to apply that either or black and white type of distorted thinking to our lives, it can really have an impact. And so what we want to start to think about is just thinking in shades of gray, um, because it you know, really kind of makes us and forces us into this uh, kind of seeing things 
in a different in a different light. So kind of thinking on a scale of zero to a hundred instead of this or that. And so what, what we want to think about is that when a plan or a goal is not fully recognized, what we want to think about and evaluate is the experience. What, what successes did we have on that scale, right? So I, I think about my first half marathon. I trained and I trained and I trained and I, I, I was definitely ready. I, I put in all of the work. I was really nervous at the beginning, but I was like, nope, you can do this. We're going to go and we're going to, we're just going to run it, right? Because you've done it. You, you've run nearly 11 miles. Like I know that I've done it and I put in enough work to make it the full, the full 13 uh, miles or so. And what happened though, is I got to mile nine, uh, my toes started hurting. I started to fall asleep. And so I had to walk but I continued to move on. So as soon as my kind of foot kind of came back to feeling good, I ran again and I finished, I finished that race. I ran across the finish line. I made sure, right? Again, that's a, that's a Sarah thought process that she stuck in my head. Always finish the race running, always finish the race running. And it is because it is a celebration of what you're finishing. And I had to then afterwards really think on a scale of what successes did I have? Overall, my goal was I wanted to run the full thing and it just didn't happen like that. So what, what I did though, is I took a step back and is I made it nine miles and then I was able to keep running after that and I ran across the finish line. So th those were big goals that I wanted. The first big goal was let's finish the thing. Let's actually cross the finish line. Right. And I just wanted to make sure that I was far enough ahead that the police weren't going to, uh, and the race escorts weren't going to scoop me up and, and drive me to the finish line. And, you know, even just getting out and doing it, even if you are scooped up at the very end, like you did it, you got out and, and you, you participated, you put yourself out there. But when I started to think in the shades of gray, I was allowed, I allowed myself to really see the successes that were happening. So again, as if I would have looked at that race as either, or, well, you didn't, you didn't run the whole thing. So therefore you're a failure, right? I would have never ran again. And it didn't serve me to think in that, in that way. And neither does black and white thinking when we apply it completely to our lives all the time. And so as we think in shades of gray, it really does help to mitigate the impact of cognitive distortions. The fifth way in which we can help ourselves kind of filter out these cognitive distortions or recognize them and start to change our thought, thought patterns is the experimental method. So it's like, can you experience, you know, kind of experience with your rational thoughts kind of, um, you know, on a basis, in fact, uh, outside of a trial, you know, like thinking about what what's happening you know like let's say you need to clean up your computer you need to clean off all the files off of your computer because you've got so many folders and random pieces of saved work it's just littering your desktop you can't even see the screensaver that's on the background so as we think about that that could be a very daunting task or you know for some of us it may be our email inbox does yours look like mine with a thousand messages that are in there and you're trying to sort through them and find them. And so you, you just think, all right, I'm going to get myself organized and I need to start creating folders for my email. That can be a very daunting task. And so instead of though thinking about, well, it's so big, I can't do it. What if we just took this experiment, right? So we're, we're just going to come on the other side of that thought pattern of it's so big. And we just start to break it down into small chunks. 
Does it seem more doable now? So right today, all I'm going to do is just create folders. Cool, we can do that, right? All right, that part's doable. Now, all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sort through 25 to 50 emails and then I'm done. And I'm gonna continue to do that until I'm caught up, right? So then what starts to happen is as we've broken it down into smaller and smaller pieces, we've begun to change our thought pattern around that whole project. And what used to seem completely unattainable now is doable. And does that make, does that make sense, right? Does that help us? Yes, because then it also helps us to start self-talking to ourselves about what we are capable of, what we can do, what, what I am able to actually get done. And it, it really helps us to also, you know, just see ourselves in a different light. And can you talk to your other friends about thought patterns that you're having? Like, what did you do? How did you help yourself? Right. That helps us to also see that, A, we're not alone and B, find different ways to do things. And it also helps to validate that the thought patterns that we're having are normal. And again, it is. We all have these types of thought patterns, but it is helpful for us to find different ways to combat that so that we don't get stuck in the stinking thinking. Uh, we don't want to be stuck in that yuck part, right? We want to be able to pull ourselves out, think in reality, and be able to also recognize what, what parts we own and what parts we don't and what we can actually do to change things. Now, Another way would be a survey method. So this would be um, item number six on our list that we would talk about how can we combat cognitive distortion. And this is the survey method. And, you know, I just talked about this in last um, in, with number five with that experimental method is, you know, when we're asking friends, hey, I'm getting ready to, you know, for me, it was I'm getting ready to start a new business. So I talked to a friend that had started their business. What did you do? Who did you use? How, how did you go about this? But it also applies to when we start to have these thought patterns around, let's say, a romantic relationship. And in your romantic relationship, maybe the thought pattern that you have is, you know, that if I'm fighting with my partner, we should never go to bed angry. Or all, all relationships are really, are really good until they're not. And with one bad thing that's happening, it must mean that our relationship is over. That can be a very polarized thinking. Sometimes we get into very black and white thinking with that. There are many cognitive distortions that come up around relationships because oftentimes we think we're the only ones who think like this, right? So as we look at though, what we could do is, do we have other friends that are in successful relationships? Asking them, you know, what do you guys, have you guys ever gone to bed angry? Right? If that's a thought pattern that you have is you would never go to bed angry, right? Never do that. Well, I will tell you, it's happened in my own relationship <laughs> and we are still surviving. It happens from time to time. We try, we try not to just because it helps us to sleep better, but we also understand that sometimes sleeping through things can actually help, right? It helps me to pull myself emotionally away from some situations that I've applied a distorted filter to. Again, it helps me to breathe, reset myself so that I can interact in a way that is not distorted with negative thought processes or even false thoughts. Okay. So again, I may talk to friends and I may hear from them, you know, yep, we've done that before. I've definitely gone to bed mad at my husband or my boyfriend or my partner. Um, you know, maybe as we're thinking about, you know, I've, I've gone to bed, I'm mad at my girlfriend and I got up and I told her what was happening, how I was feeling. And we had conversation over breakfast and it's good. You know, we had coffee together in the morning, talked it through and we're good. 
So again, as we start to talk to other people about what's going on, it helps to normalize our thought processes, but it also helps us to recognize when it's a distorted thought process, right? Thinking that all or nothing. If I go to bed, if I go to bed mad, then that means that our relationship is failing. It doesn't. It happens, we, we, but we can just continue to move on and it helps to recenter us into re, to rational thought processes. So as, as we begin to kind of dive into the next one, so number seven on our list is the semantic method. And what the semantic method is, is um, this may happen, you know, when we think about a person who might engage in should statements, I should do this or I shouldn't do that. Um, those are kind of like unwritten rules that we apply to behavior and it makes little sense to others, right? And a lot of times we come up with these should statements or shouldn't statements based on a lot of distorted thinking in our lives. And what happens is when we put those should statements on us, it implies a judgment about ourselves and about others. And, you know, unfortunately what may end up happening though, as we apply these shoulds or should nots, it can be very unhelpful and sometimes like even toxic hurt. It can be very hurtful if we, you know, continue on with the should statements and, and the judgments that come behind that. And so if you find yourself using these should statements, um, you know, just again, switching it, it wouldn't it be nice if, wouldn't it be nice if this happened? So, you know, we think about, you know, wouldn't it be, you know, instead of sitting there thinking I, I should eat better or I shouldn't eat all of this, uh, and guilting and shaming myself, it, instead of saying it that way, it would say, wouldn't it be nice if I was, if I paid attention more to what I was e eating? What if I be, wouldn't it be nice if I was more aware of what I was putting into my body? Wouldn't it be nice if I knew, you know, what I needed to do? You know, that, that's just one way in which we can shift. So it's a, it's a blend of kind of talking to ourselves differently, but also just kind of shifting how we talk about things. And instead of saying I should or shouldn't, it was, hmm, I would like to do this. This is something that would benefit me. And so it, it, it pulls away that label of should, shouldn't, right? It, it takes away the blame and shame and often the guilt that gets wrapped up in the, in the judgments of should. And so, you know, this is one thing that I, I really started to force myself um, this, because this is a hard one for me. Um, I, I, a lot of times when I think about what I should be doing uh, for my business or what I should be doing for exercising, what I should be doing for eating. And what that does is it very much puts the blame and shame into a situation where it doesn't need to be right. Can I own my stuff enough to know that I've been eating horribly? Yes. Do I want to eat better? Yes. And is it because I should, it's because I want to feel better. And I'm not going to shame myself for what I've been doing. I'm going to recognize that how, what I'm choosing to eat and how I'm choosing to spend, spend my day, whether I'm working out or not, um, you know, it doesn't serve me, right? So this is, and we'll talk about that, that a little bit more. So about a cost benefit analysis so is like, is this helping me or is it not? We'll talk about that as we get towards the end, but the semantic method is just shifting. It's like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I worked out today? Yeah, I think so. So I'm going to do that. But it removes the shame and blame because, again, I, I, I do that because it feels good for me. But I also don't want to put that out on others. I'm not sitting here saying that you should work out. If you want to, do it. If it helps, do it. Do you want to go for a walk today? Yeah, great. Fantastic. 
But what we ha what happens when we start to put the blame and shame into things, we go into a shame spiral. And it's hard to get out of that. And so we want to just remove just the way that we're saying things and how we're thinking about things and replacing it with a more positive, kind of a different um, thought pattern that's going to actually serve us. Now, as we look at number eight on our list, we're going to talk about definitions. And definitions um, can definitely help with, you know, for those people who kind of sit in that intellectual thought pattern, or maybe you like to just argue about the minutiae. Um, you know, this method of arguing with your cognitive distortions actually may come in handy. So, you know, as we think about what does it mean to define ourselves as, you know, let's say inferior, right? A lot of us may have that. This is kind of that, that self-worth, whether we're good or not. Um, you know, if somebody's better and we kind of get into that judgment of ourselves and comparison, um, you know, or maybe we said I'm a loser or a fool or, you know, I'm just different. There's something wrong with me. When we start to take a look at what's going on with these global labels, right? Like just generalized labels, we have to really uh, think about and look at them more closely and see what they reveal. Because what happens is they kind of reveal, you know, and they sometimes represent specific behaviors or an identifiable uh, behavior pattern instead of the total person. So when we think about this, you know, we think about in just the first one that I talked about, inferior. I will say as a principal, I would look at other principals in, in the district and I would think, well, I'm not as good as them. I'm inferior, I'm inferior to them because they've had more experience or they make more money or they lead a bigger school or they're being recognized a little bit more often. And, you know, when we come to think about inferior, we have to really think about what does that label say? So, you know, if we're thinking about ourselves as inferior, think about the questions inferior to who? Others in the workplace? Uh, and what are their work experiences? What are their backgrounds? And aren't, then we start to think, wouldn't they then be inferior to everyone else too, right? So when we start to kind of dig in and we start questioning and we're digging down and we're really thinking about the reality of it, all of those questions that we ask can actually be helpful to challenge the definition that we just placed in ourselves. And when, when we come to realize uh, how like useless those labels are, and, you know, especially when we apply it to ourselves, we begin to change our thought patterns. Like, no, I'm not inferior to other people. I just have different experiences. And this is just me, right? Like, I'm going to live authentically, wholly as myself. And what happened is when I stopped comparing myself to every other principal in our district, I started to, you know, take stock of my successes. I started to really think about the feedback that my staff was giving me, my students, my parents. And it reminded me, yep, I, I, I am a really good principal. I, I really am. And, and it was not that the thought patterns came, never came back. It did. Every once in a while, it would kind of creep up. But I just had to remind myself, right, taking the semantic method and speaking about myself a little bit differently. But asking those questions around the labels that I was putting on myself helped me to really start to see that, nope, I'm not inferior. I, I am equal to and on equal footing as everybody else. And so I, I realized that that thought pattern wasn't helping me, and I, and, and I changed. And I, I really just started to, I had to force myself to, to say something good after, about myself as a principal. I, I wanted to, you know, say a success that I had had every time that I started to have a negative thought. 
And that really helped me to kind of pull myself out of that thought pattern and stop sinking into it so quickly and recognizing kind of what can I do to get better? So if the inferiority complex or that thought process, that label was coming into play, I did want to take a look at it. Where is it actually coming from? Is it because I could improve in some places? Okay. If that's the case, then let's do that. But it's not because I wanted to be better than everybody else. It was just that I recognized if this one thing, if, if, you know, for me, it was documentation. I was the worst at it. I would have conversations with people and I would forget to write it down. But I had other coworkers, other principals in our district that were phenomenal at, phenomenal at it, and it was never an issue for them. And so instead of me thinking to myself that I was a, a bad principal or an inferior principal to the others, because I wasn't great at documenting, I, I stopped. I really started to dive down into that and realize I was having an issue with that one piece about documentation. So what did I do? I put a different system and structure in place so that I would be better at that part. And so I, I, you know, reminded myself every day by putting a reminder on my calendar to document at the end of the day, what happened to catch up on all of my notes, to finish them up. And that really started to help me. And I started to feel less inferior. Therefore, uh, I started stop sinking into that thought pattern as often. Now, as we begin to look at the next item on our list, number nine is going to be reattribution. So when we talked about last week, personalization and blaming cognitive distortions, what will happen is the person is going to point the finger at themselves for all the negative things that they're experiencing, no matter what, no matter if, whether that's true or not. But when we think about reattribution, what happens here is this is when a person is going to identify external factors and other individuals that contributed to the problem or event. So, you know, when we think about, you know, when we're in a situation, there is a degree of responsibility for ourselves. So no matter how much responsibility that you assume, your energy is going to be best used to try to find resolutions to the problems or identify ways to cope with what's actually going on, right? So either we're going to solve it, or if it's not something that can be fixed, we're going to find ways to kind of cope with it, deal with it, manage the emotions that come up with that and, and be able to kind of live uh, in our own truth and who we are. Now, when we think about responsibility in situations, you know, on a podcast that's called Own Your Ish, you best believe we're always going to remind ourselves that we play a part in everything that we do in our lives. And there will always be some responsibility as to what's going on in most situations, right? Like, we, there are parts, there are a lot of situations that happen to us that, that we, we play a part in, um, you know, let's just say if you're at work and you have a group project that you're doing and maybe you, you didn't do your part and the project failed. Is there something that you did that created that failure? Okay. Own that. But did, is there someone else who also failed? Right. We want to really take into account how many people or how many situations or other factors that are out there that may have caused to something failing. So we own our part, but only our part. If somebody else failed, right, that's on them. We, we cannot take on the responsibility of everyone else in every situation. Now, are there certain situations where it's just not our fault? Have we been sexually attacked or raped or like abused by somebody else? 
right? Those are situations which we didn't cause, right? So that that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about situations in which we do have some control. We do have some impact. You know, when we think about what's what's going on at work, so we go back to that evaluation, right? Did we get an evaluation at work that showed us where we have opportunities for growth? Such as, for me, it was documentation. And that was a piece of my evaluation that I had to really take into consideration. You know, what, who outside of me had responsibility for that? It, that in that situation, it was just me. And that's it. So I had to do what I needed to do in order to change that. And I didn't want to deflect or shift the blame. But then we also think about what happens in, in terms of these big group projects or when there are multiple people that are that are involved in something that may fail. When that happens, I, maybe I did something. Maybe I forgot to turn in the paper or maybe I forgot to tell my teammate that they needed to change something in the project before we gave it. And when we gave that project talk to to the clients, the clients noticed something was missing. Okay, well, I can own this part, but was there somebody who was supposed to go behind and check everything and they didn't and they missed it too? Okay, right. So what we're doing is we're just recognizing the people, the factors that all played into situations. We own our part, but we also remind ourselves that we are not wholly responsible for the entirety of situations at times. And so it helps us to really be able to see where we are, not shift blame, but also to recognize what what is what is our part and assigning responsibility accordingly. Now, our our last and final way in which we can combat cognitive distortions is something that I do quite often, and it's a cost benefit analysis. And what this does is this is a method for answering those irrational belief that relies on motivation. So this the, the cost benefit analysis it relies more on motivation rather than facts to help a person un, um, kind of undo the cognitive distortion. So in this technique, uh, what's going to happen is it's going to be really helpful to make a list of the advantages and disadvantages of feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. So a cost-benefit analysis is going to help us to figure out um, kind of what we're getting from feeling bad um, or the distorted thinking and the inappropriate behavior right? So what do we get out of that? What, what is serving us and what is not? So how will it help me to believe this negative irrational thought and how will it hurt me, right? So after we make this list of how it's helping, how it's hurting, and uh, we take a look at that list, if you find the disadvantages of believing this negative thought um, or the disadvantages of these behaviors or the distorted thinking, if that outweighs the advantages you know, that, that's going to help us be able to see, okay, no, this isn't serving me. And so when we start thinking about little things about how we talk to ourselves, and for me, it's the negative self-talk because I will real quick cut myself down, even though I spend all my time building up others, right? That negative self-talk, and that, that view, that distorted filter that I put on myself will really creep out. But when I stop and I think about, is this actually supporting me or is it hurting me? Well, I will tell you, it absolutely hurt me. I, I spent so long after I resigned my job last year, really just trying to figure things out. And I blamed myself for everything. And I, when I couldn't get things figured out and I didn't know the next steps to take to open up a business, man, I really started to talk myself down. It's like, gosh, you're, you're college educated and you can't get this figured out. You like, you are darn near done with your dissertation and, and you can't figure out what steps to take to open a business. 
gosh, right? That thought pattern went on for quite a while. It sucked and I stayed stuck in this stinking thinking, in this negative thought pattern that didn't serve me and it was actually causing me harm. It just continued to put me further into that depression. And what, ha- what helped um, is, again, breathing. Movement for me really helps. So started working out again, uh, started walking, but it also helped to start listening to other people right? My, my wonderful, wonderful partner is, reminds me constantly who I am and what I have to bring to this world. And I started tracking that thought patterns and started, you know, keeping a, a gratitude journal. Just what am I grateful for today? What did, what was I able to accomplish? And then I also started to speak some reality into situations, right? So I, I'm using, you know, the cost benefit analysis. Is this actually really helping me or not? No, it wasn't. So then I really, you know, just started to change. And for me, it was a semantic method, just switching how I started talking about it. You are not a business person, but you are educated enough to find resources that will help you. Aha. Okay. A shift in my thought pattern. So now I am utilizing my strengths, recognizing the reality of what I bring to this situation. And I started to dive in for resources. I started to research. I started to see, okay, there's a small business association in Missouri and it's free to sign up and they've got these free resources. Great. We're going to move in that direction. And then I started to recognize where I had blind spots, where I needed help and support. And that's where I start to find a business coach, right? So it's like a life coach, but it's for business. And that person is helping me to kind of plug in the different pieces that I, that I need. Because what happened is I spoke reality into a situation. So that thought pattern was, I don't know how to open a business and therefore I, I must be dumb or stupid because I can't get that figured out. What part of that thought pattern was real? I don't know how to open a business. I didn't go to school for business. So the other side of that though, the stupid or dumb because I don't know how to do that, right? Just because I have ignorance around how to open a business doesn't mean that I'm stupid or dumb. It just means I don't know it yet. So again, that thought pattern, speaking some truth into it, I was able to see exactly what it was that I needed to fix. And what I needed to fix was that I needed to shift how I was talking about myself so that I could shift into action and do things differently. And again, I I started to really just break that down and seeing the different pieces of, of that thought, because sometimes negative thoughts will help us, right? It will help us to see, okay, here is a a blind spot or something that I need to fix, right? It's bothering me. It's causing me to kind of have these negative feelings. But what I have to realize is that I don't always have control over everything, but what I do, I can fix. And I can start to tell myself that just because I don't know how to do something doesn't mean that I'm a bad person, right? It just, it, what it is, it is, it is exposing a place where I can improve, find new resources, do, you know, find new skills, um, find new support and really be able to speak truth into my situation. So, you know, as, as you begin to recognize these thought patterns in yourself, you can begin to find different ways to cope, different ways to interrupt those thought patterns to kind of mitigate the impact of cognitive distortions because it happens. We do have these thought patterns and they come up often. So start just by writing them down. Sorry, you're going to hear me knocking to my mic there, but write them down. 
make that list of those thought patterns so you can start to see when they're coming up and re recognize the situations. Can you change the situations? Can you pull yourself out of that? Can you start talking to yourself differently? Um, you know, Mel Robinson said, high five yourself in the mirror every day. It was super cheesy, but I've been doing it for the past week. It's helping. Even just these affirmations about I am, I am worthy of this. I, I am smart enough. I can do this. All of that is helping to make movement forward for me. And as we begin to interrupt our thought patterns and change them and start to shift the way that we talk to ourselves, and if we start talking to ourselves like we talk to our friends, we may actually start to like ourselves a little better. We may actually begin to see ourselves for who we really are, right? So this is a life lesson I had to learn really, really, really hard, right? Like it, I had to learn it the hard way. It was really, really tough. But how I see myself can be reflected out in the world if I choose to disrupt that thought pattern that I have typically had and replacing it with truth and reality that, that is based in facts, right? So I'm not working from opinions anymore. What is it about myself that, that I can do and start loving myself for that? And when I start to recognize that there are areas that I can grow in, that I can become better or that I can change, I start doing the work to move in that direction. And you can too. It's hard, takes time, takes a lot of practice, but know that you're not in this, that you're not in this alone. Reach out, talk to me about this. I will tell you many, many stories. I can help relate. I can help give you suggestions and tips and tricks on how to do that. And that's one of the ways, you know, one of the reasons why I got into life coaching is because I wanted to help other people. I, I've been through a lot in my life and I've come out the other side. Um, I, I have resilience for days, um, you know, because life has kicked me down a lot and I've come back bigger, stronger, better every time. And that is because, you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of the inside work. I have done a lot of, of work with my therapist, with journaling, with reflecting, with owning my own stuff and recognizing what part I play in situations, which part I, I don't, and then working on what I, what I can control and what I can change. And once we get to that space, we begin to see ourselves living authentically as ourselves, unapologetically as ourselves, and just owning our shit in a way that helps us live this life that we can be joyful about, that we can really enjoy, right? We want to be in that space of welcoming that in, recognizing what we can control, what we can't, and moving forward in a way that is grounded in reality and truth and love. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this um, podcast. If you did, like, su subscribe, share, leave a review. All of that helps us to find more listeners and to help others begin to recognize how owning our shit, owning what we bring to the table, really helps us to grow as people and as individuals and helps us to connect in this world in a different way. So know you're not alone. Know that you've got it in you to shift your thought patterns, to interrupt those cognitive distortions and live your life truly authentically as yourselves. So thanks for joining me, guys. I'm so glad that you were here. So as I leave you, make it a great day or not. The choice is yours. When the crowd and the place is nothing like you.